You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news... All right, I'll do. It. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, everyone. If you listen to several podcasts, I bet you've heard about surveys, and you're about to hear about another one. It would be a big help for the podcast if you could head over to surveymonkey.com slash r slash airwave, or just click the link in the episode show notes. There's a set of questions about who you are, how you listen, what you like about the podcast, which is hopefully almost everything. It shouldn't take you longer than about 10 minutes. This is important for the show as we try to attract advertisers. It is also going to hopefully help me make choices about the podcast structure or content in the future. So if you take your time to fill out the survey over at surveymonkey.com slash r slash airwave, you would have my eternal thanks. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History of the Second World War member episode preview, German-Soviet Relations. This is the third of what will be seven member episodes that will be released here on the main podcast feed for your listening pleasure. It is also the third in a series of episodes that focuses on the diplomatic communications between the various governments of Europe before the start of the Second World War. This episode exists because of all of the amazing people who have decided to support the podcast by becoming members over the years. As a reminder, this is part of a seven-week break of new mainline podcast episodes as I take a bit of a break and prepare for Season 3, which will begin in mid-April 2023. For more information on the podcast schedule for the rest of 2023, check out the link in the show notes. Hello, everyone, and welcome to History of the Second World War, Members Episode 25, Documents on Nazi-Soviet Relations. This continues our investigation into primary source documents on various different topics from before the Second World War. This episode, our documents come to us courtesy of Raymond James Sontag and James Stuart Betty, who edited Nazi-Soviet Relations 1939-1941 documents from the archives of the German Foreign Office. The book collects documents from April 1939 until the German invasion of the Soviet Union in June 1941. We are going to focus on just the events between April 1939 and the signing of the Non-Aggression Pact between Germany and the Soviet Union, better known as the Molotov-Ribbentrop Pact. One of the things I found interesting about the documents featured in this book is that they started off with the somewhat bland topic 
of economic agreements that had been made between the Skoda works in Czechoslovakia and the Soviet Union. Skoda had been a major supplier of some hard-to-get items like armor plate and other metallurgical items before the war, exporting their products to many nations, including the Soviet Union. Here is State Secretary in the German Foreign Office, Wiesacker, on April 17, 1939. Quote, The Russian ambassador visited me today for the first time since he took up his post here for a conversation on practical matters. He dealt at length on a subject that he said was of particular interest to him, namely the fulfillment of certain contracts for war material by the Skoda Works. Although the items involved are manifestly rather insignificant, the ambassador regarded the fulfillment of the contracts as a test to determine whether, in accordance with the recent statement made by Director Reel, the head of the Commercial Policy Division in the German Foreign Office, to him, that we were really willing to cultivate and expand our economic relations with Russia. The matter of these supply contracts is looked into elsewhere. End quote. This topic would then prove to be a gateway into other conversations as discussed in this Foreign Office Memorandum on May 5th, 1939. Quote, this afternoon, I asked the Soviet charge, Counselor of Embassy Askatov, to come to see me and informed him that we had agreed, as requested by his ambassador on April 17th, to carry out the Soviet supply contracts with the Skoda Works. Appropriate instructions had already been given. I asked him to inform his government of this. Counselor of Embassy Askatov was visibly gratified at this declaration and stressed the fact that for the Soviet government, the material side of the question was not of as great importance as the question of principle. He inquired whether we would not soon resume the negotiations which had broken off in February. To this I replied that I could not yet give him any answer to that, as the examination of the numerous problems which the last Russian answer had raised had not yet completed. End quote. After the more mundane topics of trade relations were sorted out, the two governments would go on a lengthy series of conversations as they slowly circled around coming to some kind of agreement. On June 29th, the German ambassador in the Soviet Union, Schulenberg, would say, quote, I described to Molotov the impression which I had gained with, from talk with influential personalities in Berlin, particularly with the Reich foreign minister. I pointed out that we would welcome a normalization of the relations between Germany and Soviet Union, as the state secretary had stated to the Soviet charge in Berlin. For this, we had furnished a number of proofs, such as reserve in the German press, conclusion of the non-aggression treaties with the Baltic countries, and desire for resumption of economic negotiations. From all this, it was evident that Germany did not have any bad intentions towards the Soviet Union, particularly since the Berlin Treaty was still in force. We, on the German side, would continue to take advantage of any opportunity to prove our goodwill. However, we had no answer from the Soviet Union as to the question of what Molotov meant in his last conversation with me by, quote, the creation of a new basis of our relationship. We also objected to the attitude of the Soviet press. My impression is that the Soviet government is greatly interested in knowing our political views and in maintaining contact with us, although a strong distrust was evident in everything that Molotov said. Nevertheless, he described normalization of relations with Germany as desirable and possible. End quote. Then he would provide another update on, on this same topic on August 4th. Molotov answered point by point at some length. He stated that the Germ that Soviet government had always desired the conclusion of an economic agreement, and if a like desire existed on the German side, he considered the prospects for realization of an economic agreement to be entirely favorable. 
As far as the attitude of the Soviet press was concerned, he considered our reproaches, with some exceptions, unjustified. But he took the stand that the press of both countries must desist from anything that might tend to exacerbate their relations. He considered the gradual resumption of cultural relations necessary and expedient, and believed that a gratifying start had already been made towards improvement. Going on to to the question of political relations, Molotov declared that the Soviet government also desired normalization and improvement of mutual relations. It was not its fault that relations had so deteriorated. The reason for this he saw, firstly, in the conclusion of the Anti-Comintern Pact, and in everything that had been done and said in this connection. To my objection that the Anti-Comintern Pact was not directed against the Soviet Union and had been designated by Molotov himself on May 31st as an alliance against the Western democracies, Molotov said that the Anti-Comintern Pact had nonetheless encouraged the aggressive attitude of Japan towards the Soviet Union. In the second place, Germany had supported Japan. And thirdly, the German government had repeatedly shown that it would not participate in any international conferences in which the Soviet Union participated. Molotov cited the meeting in Munich as an example. I answered Molotov in detail, stressing that it was not a matter of discussing the past, but of finding new ways. End quote. I like that, I like that, that quote brings up the, the Munich meeting. Uh, the lack of Soviet representation at Munich was a big deal for the Soviet Union. And it wasn't just Germany that didn't want them there. You know, Britain and France also wanted the Soviet Union to stay away. And it was a serious sticking point for Soviet relations with these other nations after the Munich Agreement had been signed. Want to learn how you can make smarter decisions with your money? Well, I've got the podcast for you. I'm Sean Piles, and I host NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast. On our show, we help listeners like you make the most of your finances. I sit down with NerdWallet's team of nerds, personal finance experts in credit cards, banking, investing, and more. We answer your real-world money questions and break down the latest personal finance news. The nerds will give you the clarity you need by cutting through the clutter and misinformation in today's world of personal finance. We don't promote get-rich-quick schemes or hype unrealistic side hustles. Instead, we offer practical knowledge that you can apply in your everyday life. You'll learn about strategies to help you build your wealth, invest wisely, shop for financial products, and plan for major life events. And you'll walk away with the confidence you need to ensure that your money is always working as hard as you are. So turn to the nerds to answer your real-world money questions and get insights that can help you make the smartest financial decisions for your life. Listen to NerdWallet's Smart Money Podcast wherever you get your podcasts. Some of us love history. Others used to or never did because history was presented as nothing but the rote memorization of names, dates, and facts. Basically, the story got left out, and that made history kind of suck. My name is Greg Jackson. I'm a university professor with a PhD in history, and bringing history to life is my passion. That's why I created my podcast, History That Doesn't Suck. I want to teach you everything you need to know about U.S. history, but I do so through stories. Let me tell you about George Washington begging his men not to mutiny against Congress. Clara Barton saving Union soldiers amid enemy fire. Enslaved Frederick Douglass risking his life for liberty and about so many other figures as their real experiences make industrialization, social movements, and even congressional debates and tax policy come to life. Subscribe to History That Doesn't Suck today and join me, Professor Greg Jackson, every other week for a new episode where I'd like to tell you a story.
Now, of course, as the summer kind of was coming to an end and we moved into August 1939, you know, we, we are weeks before the start of the war. The Germans know they're about to start a war. And so the German Foreign Office, trying to determine Soviet views on relations with Germany, primarily through conversations with the Soviet Charge d'Affaires in Berlin, Asketov. Here are some pieces of a Foreign Office memorandum from August 10th. Quote, we had wished that Molotov would let us know his basic attitude in regard to the status of the Soviet interests in order to facilitate further conversations, and had believed that it was premature for us to discuss concrete problems so long as we did not know exactly the interests of the Soviets. A very immediate concern with the Polish invasion plan for later in August was the topic of Poland. Quote, but in any event, one question was still ripe, namely Poland. The Polish delusion of grandeur, shielded by England, drove Poland constantly to new provocations. We were still hoping that Poland would somehow come to reason so that a peaceful solution could be found. Failing this, it was possible that, against our will and against our desires, a solution by force of arms would have to take place. If, as we had now done on various occasions, we had declared ourselves willing to enter upon a large-scale adjustment of mutual interests with Moscow, it was important for us to know the position of the Soviet government on the question of Poland, end quote. But there was also some concern that after the Germans were very clear about their intentions, there would be some kind of military agreement reached between Moscow, London, and Paris, for which conversations were known to be occurring in Moscow at this very moment. What the Germans did not know is that the three nations were very far apart, mostly due to there being some hesitancy on the British and French governments, and the Soviet government very clearly feeling that hesitancy. But this friction was not known in Berlin, and so the memorandum would continue, quote, These were therefore questions that were of interest to us at this stage of our conversation, and upon them depended, after all, the prospects of achieving a Soviet-German understanding. In the first place, then, the attitude of the Soviet Union on the Polish question, and in the second place, the objectives that Moscow was pursuing in the military discussions with England and France, end quote. During this feeling-out period, Askatov would often only discuss his own views. Quote, Askatov was keenly interested, but naturally had no instructions of any kind from Moscow to discuss the subject of Poland or the subject of the negotiations in Moscow. In the course of the conversation, however, he quite extensively went into both subjects on his own accord. The negotiations with England had begun at a time when there had still been no sign of a disposition on the part of Germany to come to an understanding. The negotiations had been entered upon without much enthusiasm, but they had to conduct them because they had to protect themselves against the German threat and had to accept assistance wherever it was offered, to be sure the situation had changed since the conversations with Germany had started. End quote. On August 14th, the push towards further negotiations got a large nudge on the German side, with a letter from Ribbentrop, the foreign minister, to the German ambassador in Moscow which th went through six different topics and outlined why Germany and the Soviet Union should enter into negotiations to come to some kind of agreement. The first point makes clear that the German government did not consider the differences in politics to be a roadblock. Quote, The ideological contradictions between National Socialist Germany and the Soviet Union were in past years the sole reason why Germany and the USSR stood opposed to each other in two separate and hostile camps. The developments of the recent period seem to show that differing world outlooks do not prohibit a reasonable relationship between the two states and the restoration of cooperation of a new and friendly type. 
The period of opposition and foreign policy can be brought to an end once and for all, and the way lies open for a new sort of future for both countries. End quote. I then like point two because while it presents the argument differently, to me, it reads like the German government is clearly trying to convey that the two nations can come to an agreement on how to carve up Eastern Europe. Quote, there exist no real conflicts of interest between Germany and the USSR. The living spaces of Germany and the USSR touch each other, but in their natural requirements, they do not conflict. Thus, there is lacking all cause of an aggressive attitude on the part of one country against the other. Germany has no aggressive intentions against the USSR. The right government is of the opinion that there is no question between the Baltic and the Black Seas which cannot be settled to the complete satisfaction of both countries. Among these are such questions as the Baltic Sea, the Baltic Area, Poland, Southeastern questions, etc. In such matters, political cooperation between the two countries can have only a beneficial effect. The same applies to German and Soviet economy, which can be expanded in any direction. End quote. I will skip points three and four, which are mostly just empty words discussing German and Soviet relations. Uh, then point five calls back to something that had been an important part of Soviet planning off and on since the revolution, which was the idea that the Western democracies were trying to pull the Soviet Union into a war with Germany or any other nation to try and weaken its power. This belief had waned during the late 1930s as the Soviet Union had made it a point to try and build up relations with other nations to combat the rising power of Germany. But the fear that those in London and Paris were just as interested in weakening the Soviet Union as they were in trying to fight Germany never went away. Quote, the right government and the Soviet government must, judging from all experience, count it as certain that the capitalistic Western democracies are the unforgiving enemies of both National Socialist Germany and the USSR. They are today trying again, by the conclusion of a military alliance, to drive the USSR into a war against Germany. In 1914, this policy had disastrous results for Russia. It is the compelling interest of both countries to avoid for all future time the destruction of Germany and the USSR, which would profit only the Western democracies. End quote. Then point six is a direct call to action. Quote, the crisis which has been produced in the German-Polish relations by English policy, as well as English agitation for war and the attempts at an alliance which are bound up with all that policy, make a speedy clarification of German-Russian relations desirable. Otherwise, these matters, without any German initiative, might take a turn which would deprive both governments of the possibility of restoring German-Soviet friendship and possibility of clearing up jointly the territorial questions of Eastern Europe. The leadership in both countries should therefore not allow the situation to drift, but should take action at the proper time. It would be fatal if through lack, mutual lack of knowledge of views and intentions our people should be finally driven asunder. End quote. While the two governments were sort of feeling each other out on a lot of these questions, there was one small problem. Germany had an alliance with Japan. And at that very moment that these conversations were happening, the Red Army was in a lengthy struggle with the Japanese army at Nomenhan, which we recently covered on the podcast. The reaction of Japan to the discussions that were occurring at this stage was a topic that was discussed in June 1939 in this message from the German ambassador in Moscow to the foreign office in Berlin. Quote, it is obvious that Japan would not like to see even the smallest agreement between us and the Soviet Union. The less our pressure becomes upon the western boundary of Russia, the stronger the might of the Soviet Union will make itself felt in Eastern Asia. The Italians really ought to welcome a German-Russian agreement. They themselves have always avoided clashing, 
with Moscow, and the Reich would take a stronger stand towards France if Poland were kept in check by the Soviet Union, thus relieving our eastern boundary. If the Italians nonetheless are pretty reserved, the reason may be that they are not pleased to see the importance of the Reich within the Axis increase through an improvement in German-Soviet relations and the resulting automatic increase in our power. End quote. Then in August, a more direct conversation would happen between Molotov and the German ambassador in, in Moscow, which would be relayed to Berlin on August 15th. Again, this is about Japan. Quote, in this connection, he was interested in the question of how the German government was disposed to the idea of concluding a non-aggression pact with the Soviet Union, and further, whether the German government was prepared to influence Japan for the purpose of improvement of Soviet-Japanese relations and settlement of border conflicts and whether a possible joint guarantee of the Baltic states was contemplated by Germany. So we finally come to it at this point. You know, uh, Molotov and, and the Russians have finally stated what they want. The Germans have been very clear on what they want. And so things really started going after August 15th. German efforts to conclude some kind of agreement became far more urgent as the days slipped by in August, and the impending invasion of Poland grew closer. To try and move things along as quickly as possible, the proposal would be made on August 16th for Ribbentrop himself to fly to Moscow the next day, with the German ambassador in Moscow being told, quote, The Fuhrer is of the opinion that, in view of the present situation and of the possibility of the occurrence any day of serious incidents, please at this point explain to Herr Molotov that Germany is determined not to endure Polish provocation indefinitely. A basic and rapid clarification of German-Russian relations and the mutual adjustment of the pressing questions is desirable. For these reasons, the Reich foreign minister declares that he is prepared to come by plane to Moscow at any time after Friday, August 18th, to deal on the basis of full powers from the Fuhrer with the entire complex of German-Russian questions, and if the occasion arises, to sign the appropriate treaties. End quote. This was not necessarily the typical way that these kinds of agreements were reached, uh, with lengthy discussions often happening before people like foreign ministers got involved, but the Germans were pressed for time. In this case, it was actually the perfect suggestion, though, if only because the British and French had done the exact opposite, as outlined in this note from the German ambassador back to Berlin on August 18th. Quote, with regard to the proposed trip of the Reich foreign minister to Moscow, he declared that the Soviet Union was very gratified by this proposal, since the dispatch of such a distinguished public figure and statesman emphasized the earnestness of the intentions of the German government. This stood in noteworthy contrast to England, who in the person of Strang had sent only an official of the second class to Moscow. A journey by the Reich foreign minister, however, required thorough preparation. The Soviet government did not like the publicity that such a journey would cause. They preferred that practical work be accomplished without so much ceremony. To my remark that it was precisely by the journey of the Reich foreign minister that the practical goal would be speedily reached, Molotov countered that the Soviet government nonetheless preferred the other way in which the first step had already been taken. When this was received back in Berlin, it prompted a quick response, mostly because Again, like, the German government knew this thing had to get done very quickly. And so they would say, quote, We were therefore now asking for an immediate reaction to the proposal made in the supplementary instruction regarding my immediate departure from Moscow. Please add in this connection that I would come with full powers from the Fuhrer, authorizing me to settle fully and conclusively the total complex of problems. 
Obviously, the Soviets would eventually give in, and, and Ribbentrop would travel to Moscow, and things got going very quickly when that happened. On August 19th, the Soviets would give the German ambassador a draft copy of the Non-Aggression Pact, which the German government would agree to in principle on August 20th. Ribbentrop still wanted to go to Moscow as quickly as possible, and he would travel there on August 22nd, carrying with him this note to make it clear that he had the authority to agree with whatever was being discussed. Quote, I hereby grant full power to negotiate in the name of the German Reich with authorized representation of the government of the Union of Soviet Socialist Republics regarding a non-aggression treaty, as well as all related questions, and if occasion arises to sign both the non-aggression treaty and other agreements resulting from the negotiations, with the provisio that this treaty and these agreements shall enter into force as soon as they are signed. End quote. That was a letter directly from Hitler to the Soviet government. The very next day, the conversations were had to the very finest of details, with Riventrop writing back to Berlin to get approval on some small pieces that needed to be altered in the draft. Riventrop would also send a notification that the secret piece of the treaty, the delineation of Eastern Europe, was also being discussed. The note would say, quote, Please advise the Fuhrer at once that the first three-hour conference with Stalin and Molotov has just ended. At the discussion, which moreover proceeded affirmatively in our sense, it transpired that the decisive point for the final result is the demand of the Russians that we recognize the points of Lebao and Wundau as part of their sphere of influence. I would be grateful for confirmation before 8 o'clock German time that the Fuhrer is in agreement. The signing of a secret protocol on the delimitation of mutual spheres of influence in the whole eastern area is contemplated, for which I declared myself ready in principle. End quote. The response from Hitler said simply, yes, agreed. The treaty would be signed that same day on August 23rd. I won't be reading out the full agreement here because it will be featured in an upcoming episode of the podcast, which should be released at roughly the same time as this, actually.